0: have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. We're going to close our time in 1 Samuel today. Uh, I'm not sure how many sermons we've done in 1 Samuel over these past months and weeks, but uh, we we have worked our way through the entire book for the most part Um, and, and got this general idea of looking at Hannah's story And how she finally bared the son Samuel. And how God used Samuel to anoint two kings. One being Saul and one eventually will be David as king. But as we look at today's passage, we come to the end of Saul's life. And certainly the idea of death is a difficult aspect of humanity. Whether it's the loss of a loved one or the reality that one day we too will pass on, it's not an easy topic of conversation, nor will it ever be. But as a believer, as a Christian myself, and I hope and pray you agree with this statement, I am relieved of the uneasiness because I know my eternity is with the Lord. Because I am a believer, the difficulties of the topic of death no longer have to be difficult because I have confidence that Jesus Christ has saved me from the punishment of eternal hell and I will forever live in the presence of God and we can praise the Lord for that this morning I am filled with the joy of knowing this truth I do not have to fear death because of the truth of Jesus Christ. And while I can say that with confidence as a believer in Jesus Christ, the sad reality is that we live in a world and live around people who cannot say the same thing. Or we live with people and live around people who have great confidence in their ability to get to heaven, but lack what they need to get there. And their lostness has deceived them of it. Living in the Bible Belt, we are certainly filled with a lot of people who say they're going to heaven. And you ask them, how do you know? They don't say Jesus Christ. They say, because I'm a good person. That's not enough. If, good enough per- if you are good enough to get to heaven, you wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus would not have to do what he did. But he did because we cannot, on our own efforts, make it to the glory of God. And one man that we've been reading about time and time again in 1 Samuel is Saul. Saul was deceived by his lostness. Of course, he was first chosen by God to serve as king of Israel. And in that time, he chose to live his time as king for himself. An example of it was when God commanded Saul to take out the Amalekites. He said, spare no one and no thing. Nothing should be left. Of the Amalekites and their possessions, and yet Saul spared their leader and took the best of their possessions for himself. God used Samuel to call him out for it, but Saul did not repent. Instead, he continued on doing the things for himself and not for the glory of God. So eventually, God says, Saul, I'm done with you, I'm moving on. And he anoints David to be the successor. Following Saul, God anointed David as the future king of Israel. And in that, Saul grew jealous. He was filled with hatred and he spiraled out of control to the point that he tried to kill David several times. And as we saw last week, Saul doubled down on his wickedness and God sealed his fate for good. Saul is going to die as a sinner and nothing will save him from his eternal destination. He would not find salvation, he would not find mercy, and he would not find grace. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 31, starting in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 7. Verse 1, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it, and when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all of his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled they, and, and that the, uh, Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came, and lives with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we give you the praise and the glory for another great day in your house. God, we thank you for our Sunday school hour that we've had. God, we thank you for the worship. God, the reminder of the grace that you've given us, but also the reminder, God, to set our souls on fire to go and tell of that good news, of that grace that you've provided for your son, from your son. And so, God, as we read your word, as we study your word now, God, may you speak to our hearts. May you convict us correct us, encourage us. God, whatever it is that we need from you today, God, may you reveal it to us. Help us to see uh, the, 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 the sadness, God, of those that are lost, that will die without ever receiving salvation. But God, let us also see the hope that is given today so that others will come to know you as their God, as their Savior, as their Lord. God, speak to us now. And it is in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen. So as we think about this idea of the lost, first thing that we see in scripture is being lost without hope. Being lost without hope. Again, go back to verses 1 through 4. It says, The Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malakishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me." But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. So these Philistines were back at war. And we knew this was coming. We knew the Philistines were building up their army. And Saul, a few chapters ago, we saw how Saul was so desperate for God's help that he turned to him. And when he wouldn't, God wouldn't speak to him. He tried to turn to Samuel, who was already dead. And he tried to find anything he could to see how he could win this war. But God had already told Saul, you're not winning this war. The Philistines are going to overcome you, and they did. Many of the Israelites were dying in this war, and the Philistines reached Saul and his sons. and first, killed the sons of Saul, including Jonathan, who we've read about, one of David's best friends. But then we see that the Philistines pressed hard against Saul, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Saul knew there was no hope for him. He was done. There's nothing left. There was nothing that he could do. There was no hope to be grasped at this moment. He was about to die, and he did not want the Philistines to have the pleasure of killing him. So he asked his armor bearer to kill him instead before the Philistines could. Now, what is an armor bearer? What exactly is that? An armor-bearer is a man who is chosen by a king or a general to stand beside them in battle. And, And these men are to be brave and willing to fight for their leader, but they're also to fight alongside one of the biggest targets on the battlefield because then the kings would fight alongside their men. And you were there to fight against the biggest target on the battlefield. You had to be a courageous person. But in this particular moment, Saul... With Saul, the armor bearer could not bring himself to fulfill Saul's request. So Saul kills himself. And it's such a tragic way to die. But this is the reality for those who have no hope. When when the feeling that all hope is lost, it leads people to harm themselves and sadly kill themselves. They have nothing else to live for, or at least they think so. And in Saul's case, he had nothing else to live for. His sons are dead. He's losing the throne. God has cut him off, and there was nowhere else to turn. Listen, Saul is a lost man who is facing eternal death. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy to be lost without hope. In Job, Job asked this question. Think about Job for a moment. Job 27.8, he says, For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off? When God takes away his life. What kind of hope is there for a godless person who's been cut off by God? And we see it in 1 Samuel 31. The reality is that there is no hope. For the godless, for the wicked, the lost walk in this world without hope. And while many will search for hope, they're never going to find it. There are many in our world today, and maybe this is where you are today. Many are seeking hope and things such as money and possessions and sexual immorality and alcohol and drugs and acceptance. And none of it's going to make you happy. It doesn't. It doesn't make anyone happy. Learn from Saul. None of that helped. Taking all those good things from the Amalekites did not help. It does not make you hopeful. If you are lost, you are without hope in this moment. But let me tell you, you don't have to live without hope any longer. And I'm going to show you why in just a moment. But I also want to show you something else about the lost. The lost live without direction. The lost live without direction. Look at verses 5 through 7. 5 through 7 says, When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. So after the death of Saul, we see uh, the people under his authority had no direction. Right. They, too, were lost because they were following an authority of a lost king. When Saul died, his armor bearer thought the best thing for him was just to die the same kind of death as Saul. I don't know what else to do. I've been, I've been fighting with this man for years. He kills himself, so I guess I'm supposed to as well. And all the men close to Saul died as well. Then the Israelites said that when they realized they were without a king, they abandoned their cities and they allowed the Philistines to take over their land just as God said he would allow, all because of the wickedness of Saul. The Israelites were deceived by a wicked king, and when he died, they were lost without direction. And again, this is how our world operates. This is how our world functions. They have their leadership, sure, but there's no direction. Why is there no direction? It's because the mark, the goal, is always shifting. It's always moving directions. The, marks, the markers of progression are constantly changing. And what was once acceptable is no longer acceptable. What was once correct is no longer correct. What was once tolerable is, no, is now intolerable. Listen, you can never be tolerant enough for our world. You can never be, to use a phrase from today, you can never be woke enough for our world. You recognize that. You turn on the news, you see it. You see those who say they are progressive and woke, they're turning on each other. Why? Because the marker is always different. It's never the same. It never stays constant. You can never do enough because there's no true direction in our world. Because they don't know where to go. Everyone assumes that you can live by your truth. But the problem is we were never created to live by our truth. Truth is not subjective based on a person's ideas or a person's morals. Truth has a foundation, church. Truth has a source. It is objective. And it gives direction on how we should live our lives day in and day out. And the moment we step out of that direction and into our sin, we lose direction and we're lost. Maybe you remember the days. Some of you don't, but some of you might. Maybe you remember the days when there was no such thing as a cell phone. Right? And if you needed to go somewhere and you didn't know how to get there, what you had to do? You had to buy a map. Sometimes you had to buy one of them big Rand McNally Atlas maps, right? I remember my dad always had one in the back of the car. And for some reason, one time I thought I had to to buy one. I'm like, wait a second, I got a phone. I don't need that no more, right? But that's the way it worked. You had to learn how to read a map. Maybe you bought one of those folded up maps at the gas station that are so hard to fold back together, right? Just trying to go from point A to point B. And you felt confident in your reading skills when it comes to a map. But there might have been a moment where you you took a wrong turn somewhere. You thought it was right, but then you realized it was wrong. And suddenly you were lost and you were looking at the map like, I don't know where to turn now. Because I don't know where I am. I don't know what road I'm on anymore. That's probably one of the worst feelings in the world. To be lost and not know how to get out of it. You do your best to figure it out. You might do your best, but you realize you're not really getting back on track. Nothing's looking familiar. You're not finding a road on the map that you hoped you were on. You have no direction. You're lost. And it was time for you to find somebody who knew how to get you back on track. It was time that you found somebody who knew the real directions. Our world is lost and needs direction. They need to be be pointed in the right direction, church. And it's in that direction that they're going to find hope. But how are they going to have it if no one's going to go tell them? If no one's going to give it to them? We have hope for those of us who are believers and we are called to go out into this world and to share that direction with the world. If they accept it, praise God, if they don't, it's their decision. But I want to show you something. I want to show you where that hope comes from. Where that direction has its source. How you can be brought from lost found from death to life. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 through 13 says this. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Asheroth, uh, and, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard when the, what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Now, the end of this story is rather gruesome in nature, obviously. But I want you to see the hope that is hidden in this scripture. And while I'll never say that Saul was Christ-like, because he clearly in his life never was, but this gruesome picture points us to Christ and what he did for us. See, the next day after the death of Saul, the Philistines were going and looking at the bodies and they find Saul, and they find his sons, and it says that they took Saul, and they stripped the armor off of him, and then they sent messengers into the land to let everybody know the good news that Saul was dead. They take his armor to the temple, and they fasten his body to the wall. Again, it's gruesome. But they did this as an expression of their victory and dominance over the Israelites, And word got out to some inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead and their valiant men. It said that they went and got Saul's body and they took it and they burned it. And they buried the bones as a sign of respect. Now Saul's death and the aftermath do not give us any hope, but there is hope in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ today, church. See, while Saul's body was hung on a wall to make the Israelites see that their king was nothing, Right, and the Philistines show that their kill for all the world to see. Jesus Christ hung on the cross to show that He was finding victory. That it wasn't the ones who put Him there that was victorious, but it was He, Christ, who was going to be victorious. While the Philistines were showing off their kill, while the Jewish people were trying to show off their kill, the difference is Christ was bringing hope. Saul was stripped of his armor. Jesus was stripped of his clothing. Jesus was beaten, battered and bruised, nailed to a cross where he hung for hours and and, and they thought they were bringing great shame to Jesus by hanging him on this cross. They mocked him, said if you're the real Messiah, if you are who you say you are you would come down off of there on your own. While Saul hung on the wall dead Jesus was alive on that cross bleeding and gasping for air and in great pain as he took on our sins, mine and yours. And yes, Jesus eventually gave up his spirit willingly so that he would die for our sins. The valiant men came and took Saul's body off the wall to give him a proper burial. Jesus came off the cross and was buried in a tomb. Both enemies thought they had won. Jewish people thought they had won against Jesus. The Philistines thought they had won. And yes, the Philistines might have won, but those who killed Jesus and put him in the tomb, they did not. They did not win. While Saul's not coming back from the dead, Jesus did. Just a few days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that stone that they put in front of the tomb to keep him in was rolled away. And when they went to see the tomb, the angel of the Lord told them, He is not here, for he has risen. And the Philistines sent messengers in Saul's time to let everybody know that Saul is dead. But God sends his messengers to say that Jesus is alive. Amen. Saul is dead and the messengers are praising him but we praise because we are messengers and our Savior is alive. He is alive and there is hope for those who feel hopeless today. There is hope because Jesus is not in that tomb. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And he is waiting for the day that he is going to return and he's going to conquer the wicked for good and he's going to take his children home. Praise God for that. But until that day comes, church, we are supposed to go out of those doors and share the good news that Christ is alive. Christ is the Savior. He is the hope for the world. And they need to hear that from us. They need to hear that Jesus lives. Let me tell you, if you're seeking hope today, if you recognize that you are lost If you felt hopeless, I want to tell you, you can find hope today because of who Jesus is. He is the one who came to this earth, died in your place for your sin so that you would move from death to life. That you would move from lost to found. That you no longer have to walk through this life without hope and without direction You can find that hope and direction today through Jesus. And listen to me if you are lost today, Jesus is calling you to salvation. If you have never believed in Jesus, you've never put your faith and trust and fall under the authority of Jesus Christ, today you can do so. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait for your deathbed experience. God never promised that we would be lying in a hospital bed and a pastor will come and give us one more opportunity to be saved. God never promised that. But so many people live for that day and we don't know what that day is going to look like. We don't know when our number is going to be called. So I'm telling you right now, because you are here in this congregation right now, if you are without hope, if you are without Jesus today, all of that can change. And you can find salvation today. Don't wait until you get a little courage to step out. Step out. Don't wait until you've got your life figured out. Y'all, I still don't have it figured out. None of us do. It's life. It's hard. It's difficult. But the only way we will find solutions to life, the only way we can find solutions over our sin and our failures... It's through Jesus. You won't get there on your own. We all need Jesus. So don't wait another second. Listen, I'll be right here. Right here up front. If you need salvation, come forward and receive it. Don't wait any longer. But maybe today you're in here and you're a Christian already. and You've been a Christian for a while. But maybe your life's been a little less Christ-like lately. You haven't been living up to the standard that God has been calling you to and you recognize that. This altar is open for you. If you're able, I'll I'll ask you to come and bow before the Lord and seek to repent of your sins. To be forgiven of those sins. Maybe you're in here today. You just got a lot going on. You're saved. You trust in the Lord. You're doing well. Oh man, that that devil's getting after you. Life has been hard lately. Maybe today you come to this altar and you seek comfort. You seek healing. You seek hope. Maybe that's you. Listen, our, our altar is always open. I know it doesn't get used a lot. But it is open. And it's for those who need Jesus. It's for those who need healing and comfort. Maybe today you would take a brother or sister with you and you'd walk down this aisle together and pray for one another as the church is supposed to. Whatever God is asking you to do today, church, will you be faithful to respond to the Lord? Let's pray. Father God, we give you the praise and the glory for your word, God. While we, while we see a tragedy in the life of Saul, God, we also see hope. God, we also see your goodness, God. We see Jesus in the midst of your word. And so, God, I pray that we are reminded of the goodness of Jesus Christ and his willingness to come and die for our sins. But, God, he's he's not dead. He's not in a tomb. God, he is alive and he is at your right hand waiting for your instructions to come back. God, I pray we know that hope today. God, if there's anyone here who does not know you, who does not have faith in you, I pray today would be the day that they would receive salvation. God, I also pray for those in here that are believers. Maybe they've been dealing with some sin lately. Maybe they just need to come to this altar and repent and seek forgiveness, God. Maybe maybe it's just that they need healing. They need some comfort. They need to hide under the shadow of your wings, God. God, I pray that they'll do that today. That they'll they'll come to this altar and not be intimidated by the idea of bowing at an altar, God, but they would come willing to be in your presence and seek you. God, I thank you that you hear our prayers today. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to provide us salvation. I thank you, God, for the salvation in my life. God, I am not worthy of it. God, I fail you constantly. God, it is your grace that restores my soul. So, God, I pray today that you would do the same for everyone in here. God, be with us now. Move us where we need to move. And it is in your Son's holy and righteous name that I pray. Amen.